My name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastor elders here, and it is a joy to be with you this morning. We are in Philippians 2. Uh, I don't know what Philippians, uh, what it's been like for you so far. It has been incredibly encouraging for me personally, and I think remarkably challenging um, if we allow it to be. And, I, and God's word will often be that way for us, right? I think we have, if we're willing to receive from him, if we're willing to listen and respond, I think that it's, it's incredible how relevant and pertinent uh, passages that were written thousands of years ago can be for us today. Just a reminder, this is written to the church in Philippi. Uh, they are a Roman colony. As far as we can tell, like persecution and stuff has kind of started happening but we don't know on what type of scale. We have, and we've seen Paul encourage the, this church in a way that feels very um, uh, brotherly and sisterly. It is very much a, you can tell that there's a fondness from Paul to the church in Philippi. There are some other letters that Paul has written where they are sometimes maybe a little bit more aggressive, like in Galatians and even in 1 Corinthians at points. Not that he doesn't love them, but his tone is a little bit more uh, gusto-y. Um, and this is, I said gusto-y, yeah. Come, come every Sunday, you're bound to learn a few fake words. Um, and, uh, but one of the things that, that is fascinating about the church in Philippi too is because they are a new Roman colony, they, they, they love the fact that they're a Roman colony. Uh, they rejoice in that fact. To be a part of Rome, uh, especially if you were a Gentile, was it wasn't a bad thing. It was actually potentially it provided freedom. It provided opportunity. There were lots of great things about it. And so I just think there's a lot of parallels to the church in Philippi. I'm not saying they're exactly the same to where we are uh, by any means. But I think uh, it's been fun to see that there are a lot of these parallels. And so much of Paul's encouragement to the church in Philippi isn't brand new encouragement. It's, as we'll see today, it's obey and keep on obeying. It's Keep going. Not that you're doing anything 100% wrong, but you're probably not doing everything 100% right. But what he's saying and coming along as a brother in Christ is saying, keep going. Keep going. We've seen so far in Philippians uh, really this, this clear call of togetherness, kononia, partnership. Uh, that has been run throughout so far. We'll see it again this morning where we're called to stand firm, called to strive together. Eric talked about last week sharing the mind of Christ as we pursue humility. All of it to be done together. If we were to look at the last few weeks, starting two weeks ago, the really the theme was uh, Christian citizenship. What does it look like to be a citizen of heaven? Last week was Christian humility as we followed the Christ hymn and Jesus' example of humility. And this week is Christian obedience, our responsibility as followers of Jesus to be obedient, that there is work to do. And so we're going to read together verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do nothing without grumbling. Excuse me, do all things. I got the first part of, I was like, wait a second, why did my brain go to do nothing out of selfishness or vain conceit? Wrong verse. The opposite of this. Uh, do all things without grumbling or questioning. That was just a test if you were to grumble about my statement. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the, sacrifi upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would teach us this morning. Would you use me by your grace? Give you this time. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're going to break up into kind of three big sections. And the, the first one is we're obviously going to talk about this this call that Paul has to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, uh, it is one that has caused some people some heartache in the years past. Any reason why a passage like this you think might cause somebody heartache? Any thoughts? Okay. It might be hard to do. That's right. It could lead somebody down the pathway of whose job is it for my salvation? Is it mine? Is it God's? Can I earn my salvation? What were you going to say? <laughs> well, let's look at this. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's a good reminder for us that even uh, things like the verse following uh, can help bring some clarity to what Paul is trying to say. But before we get into the work out your salvation, I want us, I want us to just make sure we've got this therefore, and again we ask the question, what is therefore, therefore? What's it connecting? This is connecting back to our, our Christian citizenship, our Christian humility, uh, and the example that Jesus is setting for us as he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. As a result of this, therefore, keep obeying. Again, I want to, this is the, the familial, or fam, in what I mean familial, familiarity side with Paul to the church in Philippi. He knows them well enough to understand that they are, they actually have already practiced obeying. This is part of their life. This is part of what they're known for. And he says, obey and keep on obeying. I love that. I think that's encouraging. I love seeing that. I also think that in the West, the idea of obedience is, oh, what do you guys think of when you think of obedience? Toe the line. No fun. 
Who's in charge? What about me? How about like the hyper-individualism side of things? Or like, they're like, I'm in charge of my own destiny. I know what's best for me. Generally, when we obey somebody, it's because we're actually trusting or scared. We're either trusting that somebody has something better in mind or we're scared that we might get in trouble if we don't. Generally speaking, are there other reasons why you obey? You agree. If they, if they, that's right, Dean, that's good. Uh, if I'm to be very, very clear, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks a lot about this in his book on discipleship, which I'd encourage you to read. Uh, he talks about this, this, it's fundamental, it's necessary for followers of Jesus to obey. You actually can't be a Christian without obeying Jesus. We'll notice in this passage that there's going to be things that put us in tension. And we'll keep stepping into that tension. But this call to obey, I, I, I really want us to say, I, and again, I think Paul would probably encourage us in a similar fa- fashion as far as like generically, like keep going. But I'm curious if he would say to Anthem Camarillo, hey, Uh, obey and keep on obeying, or I'm glad that you are obeying, keep on obeying, whatever. I'm not sure, I don't know, and maybe it's because in my life, even though I do believe that I generically obey Jesus, how often do I, especially when I don't want to? What do I do when I'm forced with the option of obeying a clear command in Scripture versus doing what I want to do, and our world has so formed many of us that we actually say the best thing for you to do isn't necessarily what's right it's just what's right for you and following Jesus when we come to follow Jesus as we'll look at this picture today together it regularly involves a willingness to obey Jesus and to continue obeying But I do want us to think through, what does obedience look like in your life? If you have kids, you most likely have a clear expectation of what, obedi- what obedience looks like from your kid. Generally it is, they hear what I say and they do it or else. May not be super healthy, Altogether, however, I'll just, this, this book is incredibly beautiful, complex, creative. There is an endless, endless amount of beauty to it. But there are, are some very simple themes in this as well. And we've talked about it a bunch. But one thing you can't get away from in this is that the people of God are called to hear what God says and put it into practice. Listen to God and do what he says. And as a result, your life will be changed, lives around you will be changed, and God will be glorified. Okay, we haven't even made it anywhere yet. Let's go. Okay. So we want to listen to the words of God, do what he says. 
next, Paul continues on with what that looks like and shares some challenging words to us. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. This is an interesting phrase. And one of the reasons this creates issues is because we've got challenging passages like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that says something very clear that for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves is not of works lest any man should boast. That there is, we cannot earn our salvation. It comes from God. But here in this passage, some people like to downplay this, the word salvation or in Greek soteria to, to try and say he's not talking about salvation. He's more so talking about maybe shalom or welfare. And you can't make a good argument from that from Paul's text. The challenge is that, especially in the West, we have a view of salvation that is, that is potentially more poignant than a biblical picture of what salvation is. Generally, if you were to think of salvation, we think of, well, most of us think of not going to hell. When we think about salvation, we think almost exclusively about eternal life. When the Scripture talks about salvation, it includes that but it includes a holistic approach to our life from the point in which we come to know Jesus until we are totally made like him. See, salvation includes eternal life, but it also includes being formed into the image of Jesus, becoming more and more like him. This is what Moises Silva says. He says, the biblical concept of salvation is not just restricted to justification, more commonly, what is in view includes God's redemptive work in its totality. Thus, while in a very important sense, we have already been saved, as we see in Ephesians 2.5, in Ephesians 2.8, Titus 3.5, all Paul's work. And in another sense, we are yet to be saved, Romans 5.9-10, and 1 Corinthians 3.15, or 5.5, and 2 Timothy 4.8. What he's trying to save is there is this already you are saved and you are being saved. And this working out your salvation and fear and trembling to Paul is imperative for the church to stand, to work together, to be effective. This passage should elicit a little bit of tension. Because we cannot earn our salvation. I want to be careful how I say it, but to some extent we can prove it. And when I say prove, that doesn't mean we prove to God that we are worthy, but our lives and the way we live them reflect the growing rule and reign of Jesus, both inwardly and outwardly in our lives. Participation matters. This word work out is like legit work out. It is not like just a passive thing. It is an active involvement, engagement, involving your person. And we're to do it with fear and trembling. This is an important Old Testament reference we see a beautiful picture of this in Isaiah 6 when Isaiah is taken up into the throne room and he sees the Lord and the angels crying out, holy, 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 
to the Lord God Almighty. And he falls down on his face in fear and trembling. And he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of an unclean lips. I'm going to die right now. He is fearful and he is trembling. And then a seraphim flies over and he touches his lips. And he says, your sins have been atoned for. And then is able to be in the presence of God. This fear and trembling that Paul is mentioning here, it's not just one that is to promote terror, though, because salvation and atonement has come. We have been cleansed. And this picture in Jeremiah 33, 8-9 might give us a little bit better of a picture of the type of fear and trembling in which we're called to kind of have this posture. And he says, I will cleanse them from all guilt of their sin against me and I will forgive all their guilt of their sin and rebellion against me and this city shall be to me a name of joy a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them they shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it As Paul is calling the church in Philippi to work out their salvation in fear and trembling, really what he's calling them to do is to have a massive view of who God is. Which is why this passage is directly connected to one of the most beautiful things ever written as we see the Christ hymn in Philippians 2. As Jesus, who is God, humbles himself. Jesus, who is God, empties himself. Jesus, who is God, is obedient. Jesus, who is God, who dies. This is the awe, the fear, the trembling that he's trying to instill. It's not one that's motivated by do this or else. It's do this because of who Jesus is. Do this because of who God is. Call to work out our fear, our salvation in fear and trembling. So whose work is it and who's working? Verse 13 helps us understand what Paul's getting it. For it is God who works in you both to will and work for his good Pleasure. This is deeply connected to verses 1, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 6. That I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God is, at, is working, and it's his work. We're not called to do it alone. We're called to do it with him. But our participation matters. This is the tension that exists throughout this whole passage. It's not me alone. It's not God alone. God has called us together to work together with him, for we have been united with him. (laughs) There is no getting around it. As followers of Jesus, we are called to work. Again, not on our own, we're called to work with Jesus, to work out our salvation. 
He desires to do this work in us and through us for his good pleasure. Yes, God is responsible for salvation. And we are made to respond and even to work as a result of that salvation. Not to earn God's favor, not to earn God's blessing, not to prove to God that I'm worth it. But we are called to work. We are called to obedience. This tension exists throughout Scripture. We have the most awesome picture uh, in Hebrews 11 of the faith chapter. And again, it's, uh, we don't do good work to please God. For anyone who believes <laughs> in Hebrews eleven six, for without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God's pleasure in me is not rooted in what I accomplish. However, our faith is that the rest of that chapter in Hebrews 11 talks about basically how people's faith was proved by what? Their actions. What they did, how Noah completed the ark in faith. Well, everybody else made fun of him. Again, I'm probably belaboring the point a little bit, friends, but I feel like in our cultural moment, we've come to a point where we, uh, again, Bonhoeffer would call it cheap grace, where we just would continue to say that, yeah, I am just, I am just called to believe in Jesus. Now, that might be a fine statement i mean romans 10 talks about we must confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that jesus christ is lord and you will be saved that's true but what does that belief lead to for paul and for the christian story and for all followers of jesus belief always leads to action And for many of us, we've become people that are great at declaring. And maybe not so great at obeying. We have a role to play in what God is on about. He's the one at work. He's the one that's moving. And it is this funny dance, this funny tension. And just so you know, I'm not going to resolve it for you. God's word leaves it. There is a tension place. Whose job? My job or them? I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And I, this is, I love it legitimately probably like in my top 10 favorite verses. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. I think we want to stop there. But what he says next, again, makes us a little bit uncomfortable. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So was it God working? Did Paul do it? Did Whose effort was like, is it the chicken or the egg or how? This is a joining together. Paul's not boasting in himself. He is boasting in God, but he is also clearly stating he worked hard. 
He put forth every effort, as we'll see in this passage. He's willing and has been poured out, is willing to continue to be poured out, even if it results in his death. It's not for God's pleasure. It's not because being martyred is the best thing in the world. It is because he has tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and he wants every Gentile and those who have not experienced him to know that to be true. Paul's challenge, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. For God is at work for your good and his pleasure and his glory to bring about his purposes. Even if we went no further than this, it'd be a wonderful exercise for you guys to spend the week. God, what are you calling me to join you with? What are you calling me to step into? That could be incredibly vague, so we are actually given a little bit more clarity, at least into the church in Philippi, of what Paul is encouraging them and what working out their faith and fear and trembling actually looks like. And so we have verses 14 through 18, and I'm going to have to go quick. As we look at what is the work, what is the work? Do all things without, not with, without Grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Interesting, similar to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. Even if I am to be proud or excuse me, poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. So what's the work? There are, there are three, I'll just, if you're note-taking, there are kind of three things that Paul tells the church in Philippi to do or not do. The not do is no grumbling or complaining is one of the things he calls them to do. He calls them to hold fast, firm to the word of life, and he calls them to rejoice. So there's a chance we're not going to get to all of these. Then there are three things that he calls them to, that they will be, if these things are true, you will be blameless and innocent, children of God, and you will shine as lights. So here Paul's talking to the church. There's a number of things that I'm sure he could talk about as being big issues. But it's fascinating when it comes to working out their salvation in fear and trembling the two things that he highlights are quite interesting. Hey, if you want to work out your fear, your salvation and fear of trembling, you need to do these two things. Stop grumbling and stop complaining. Like, what about, like, I'm sure there's somebody's, like, stepmom who's something's happened, you know, like in Corinth. I'm sure the church in Philippi has got, there's, they have come out of a pagan background. There's for sure sexual immorality. There's for sure other major issues that are going on in this church. There's for sure idolatry. There's for sure hangover of pagan things. And here, he says to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, and the place to start is to stop your grumbling and stop complaining. Stop grumbling. Stop questioning. 
that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I'm not totally sure that these would be the two things that I would highlight. And just so you know, this, this, this murmuring or this questioning, the things that would be categorized in this as well would be like gossip and slander. This is, we're talking about body life here. We're not talking about the outside world. This is Paul talking about together, contending together with one another. Paul's desire is that they would be blameless and innocent children of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And the primary thing that he's calling them to avoid is grumbling or disputing. Yes, he tells them to hold fast, which is similar to what we talked about a few weeks ago in standing firm together. But why why do you think, and we don't have a whole lot of insight, by the way, into the church of Philippi here. We don't know, like, are they massive? We don't don't have any reports that these guys were, like, massive gossips or massive, like, you know, like a bunch of, like, guys or gals, like, spreading rumors. We have some insight that maybe the leaders weren't getting quite the respect that maybe Paul wanted them to have. But I think it's fascinating that Paul highlights these two things in which perhaps I think we just blaze past in our culture. That grumbling or murmuring or gossiping, it's almost like not an issue. I'm not saying that it, it's not, but it, and I, I don't think, I don't think that we intentionally do it, but I do think there's this call from Paul and from God's word to actually fight against this, to do hard work. Jim Cimbala, I'm not totally sure if that's the way, is that how you say his name, Cimbala? Is that good? Just go with it. Uh, he's a pastor. He wrote that book with prayer. Some of you guys know this book. Nope. nope. Fresh wind, fresh fire, right? Thank you. I know I can count on you, Eric. Uh, but he was, uh, he was leading a, uh, like an intro to membership type thing at his church. And he felt prompted by the Spirit just in the middle of it to challenge and charge these new folks. And he said that if you hear someone complaining or gossiping or slandering, I want you to stop them. Like, if you're going to be a part of this church, this is the type of church we're going to be. We're going to stop one another right at that moment, say, who hurt you? And then let's go to them. Who hurt you? And let's go to them. Jim Cimbala and others would, would argue that gossip, slander, this grumbling, this murmuring, it is one of the most dangerous things to the church in the West. It's one of the most dangerous things that could happen because it chips away at our unity, our togetherness, our striving together. 
And it's so easy to do because me pointing out somebody else's fault, just even if it just barely, just makes me feel this much better about myself. And if I can point out somebody else's fault, I don't have to look in here. I don't have to do my own work of searching my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. Paul wants the church to not grumble, to not murmur, to be united, or some might say, and we've probably heard it, a calm, anxious presence in the midst of a crooked generation. Do you think our world right now needs a church that will not be like the rest of the world who's murmuring, bickering, and going back and forth and instead decides to shut their mouth and to seek the benefit of another as more significant than ourselves? It's fascinating in this little passage Because do all things without grumbling or questioning, that way you would become, you will be blameless and innocent children of God. These are identity markers. This is who we are in Jesus. Paul is urging them to stop the murmuring and the bickering and the questioning so that they might become who they are, who they've been called to be in Jesus. This is called sanctification, process of becoming more and more like the image of Jesus. And as we do that, you will be like a bright, shining light. Some of you guys who are students of the word, you understand that there is Old Testament reference after Old Testament reference after Old Testament reference in here that we don't have time to get to. But these grumblers and questioners, these most famously would herald back to the unfaithful Israelites who had been rescued out of slavery. They are on their way to the promised land and they begin to murmur. Maybe we should go back to Egypt. Maybe we shouldn't follow Moses anymore. They begin to murmur and bite back both against Moses and against Yahweh. And they said, oh man, things would have been a little bit better. At least in Egypt, we could actually eat food with flavor or soup with flavor. Or they would murmur and grumble that the fact that, oh man, can we get something more than just manna? Can we get something more than just quail? These grumblers are associated with people who ultimately do not trust that God is at work in and through them for his glory. Paul makes this appeal that as we become a people that do not murmur, that do not bicker, that do not gossip, we will actually be a bright shining light to this world. I got to quicken up, but I, I love with, with Paul here, I think sometimes I can feel the pressure from Paul to be just like Paul, like to do what Paul did, like to go to all of these other places, like to, you know, go to Macedonia and then go to Rome, and then go, and and like, I can feel this internal pressure to like, oh, I'm supposed to be just like Paul, and I just want us to see in passages like this, Paul has no desire, he does not call anybody else to do just like he does. He does say, hey, imitate me as I follow Christ, but he doesn't say everybody should be a missionary. He doesn't say everybody should get on a boat. But he is calling this church in Philippi to be on mission right where they're at, and that they can be effective and productive and make a massive impact in the kingdom. 
by being faithful sons and daughters who strive together, who are obedient to Jesus, who do not grumble, who do not complain, and who trust that God is going to use them to be a bright shining light in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation. I love seeing that because that elicits all of us. All of us are now a part of that. All of us now get to strive together in that and get to be tenacious Christians together right here. It's not like, oh, now that we're going to Costa Rica next week, then I'm going to be a tenacious Christian. Then I'm going to be a bright, shining light. No, we need to be bright, shining lights right here who are pursuing holiness, becoming blameless, becoming what we are. And we do this, according to Paul's encouragement in this passage specifically, by stopping our grumbling, stopping our complaining. If we're to do that, we must cling and hold on to the word of life. We don't do this alone. This isn't now Jesus saved me, now it's my job to keep on saving me. That's not how it works. We come to Jesus. We cling to Jesus. Remember our abiding prayer. He is with us. And we've got to remember passages like Matthew 11. I know I'm hitting you like a fire hose right now. Where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, who are burdened. But he doesn't just say come and rest. He says come and do what? Take my yoke. What's a yoke used for? Work. We do it with him. And we do it together. We need him to accomplish the work. And we also need him when we fail the work. 1 John 2.1 reminds us that we have a great high priest and that when we do falter, that when we do have one, or that when we do mess up, when we miss the mark, we have one who is an advocate for us and his name is Jesus Christ. And that way, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us, to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Passage goes on and Paul doesn't want worship team you guys can come on up Paul as he's kind of winding down some of his thoughts he doesn't want to labor in vain nor to any of us again it's fast I'm just highlighting Paul connects the body of Christ with whether or not he succeeds or not there is such a togetherness with Paul that their faithfulness he views as like If they're faithful, that means he wasn't laboring in vain. He views himself, it's not just about his own personal holiness. Your life here is not just about your own personal holiness, though your personal holiness matters. We're called to it together. But there is a togetherness, a striving together, a linked armedness together that matters very, very much. But Paul's calling them, as his life is potentially winding down, be faithful, be obedient, work out your salvation, don't grumble, don't complain, cling to Jesus. And then on the day of Christ, we are confident that he who began that work will carry it on to completion and we will rejoice together. So, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I am who I am by the grace of God, and his grace has not gone without effect in my life. 
For Paul, the way he recognizes that is by pouring himself out for others. The reason he is able to say that is not just that he was transformed from the inside out. There were actually others in his life that wore the fruit of that work. He's willing to pour himself out for the sake of others and for the sake of Christ. Are we to do the same? And for us, I do, big picture, I want us to understand that we are called to work. We are called into co-laborship. We are called. Our salvation is not finished in one sense. It's declaratively true. Nothing and no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. But we are saved and continually being saved. And God has called us to join him in that work. What does it look like for you to actually work in that space? Have some time to think about that. But know that to obey Christ is to walk in your salvation. It's not to earn your salvation. Obedience is not easy. And it will take boldness, courage, and faith. But the only way to grow in obedience is to practice obedience. So what does it look like for us to do that? And then finally, just the last thing. Guys, I really, like Jim Cimbala, like I, I want us to make sure that we are a church that doesn't allow, celebrate, um, or condone grumbling and complaining. Where as a, as, as a culture, we are so averse to actual conflict. But I just want you to know that if you have an issue, if you find yourself in a complaining space, you can come reach out to any of our elders but would you be on guard? Would you care about grumbling and complaining as much as Paul does, perhaps? Would we be willing to call other people out? Not to be mean or pious or whatever, but to be faithful to say, no, guys, we can't grumble and complain against one another. It chips away at the very body of Christ. If we are to strive together, if we're to hold fast together, we have to make sure to not grumble and complain against one another. And if we do, let's go to that person so we can find healing and grace. There are some helpful tools out there that you can look up and find. There's one that's based off the acronym of THINK as you're about to say something, perhaps about somebody or to somebody. But... I'm out of time. I'm not even going to go through that right now. We need to respond in prayer and singing. We respond in three different ways. We sing. We receive prayer. Uh, Winter's over here. She's going to be available to, to pray with you. Perhaps the Lord's stirring and doing something in you. Perhaps you re recognize, man, I have not been joining the Lord well in working out our salvation or perhaps I know that I am a gossip and that I say things loosely, regularly. And you want prayer and confession. People want to pray for you. Um, Bob and Lori, or just Bob. Bob will be in the back corner, uh, I think. Or did I say, yeah, you're on the schedule. Um, and we're going to respond by singing. We also respond as through giving as part of our worship. Um, yeah, let's pray. Lord.